0: Good morning, everyone. In 1976, the toy company Hasbro introduced a new, large, gel-filled action figure that had the capacity to stretch itself from 15 inches to four or five feet long. Now, this particular toy had the capacity to contort its body in a variety of different directions, much to the delight of young kids everywhere. This toy, of course, is Stretch Armstrong. he's been released and re-released multiple times in its 45-year history. I'm not sure who picked his wardrobe, but they they need to be fired. I remember getting one of these, though, as a child. And my younger brother and I, we eventually stretched it so far to to its breaking point, and the gel oozed out of its body as we stretched it. Now, as a child, I was completely unaware of the level of symbolism that stretch carries to real life. Where it feels like at times life just stretches us and pulls us in different directions. And at times we feel like we've been tied up in knots and almost stretched to our breaking points. Unlike stretch, though, where his shape returns once the pressure is off and everything returns back to normal, life isn't always like that for us. Where normal doesn't seem attainable as we are being stretched. For many of us, the struggle is very real, isn't it? Where life is anything but normal, and we feel stretched to our breaking points. Now, initially, I was planning on preaching this particular sermon next Sunday, but after I preached last week's sermon, and and we, we explored the question, what happens when bad things happen? It struck me that as much as God is with us in the bad things, and we put on His righteousness, and we can be comforted By the presence of Jesus in our lives when the bad things happen in our lives. There's also the other side of the coin. There's also also an appropriate, necessary time to reflect on the situations that stretch us emotionally, physically, and, and spiritually. Where on one side of the coin, we can find strength in Jesus when the bad things happen. But yet on the other side of the coin, there's pain and hurt that happens when the bad things happen in our lives. And it's appropriate for us to recognize both. And we see examples of this in Scripture where even though, even though our prayers may not accurately describe the truth, it's still necessary and appropriate for us to communicate those things to God. And it's in the reality of grief and sorrow that the truth of our hurt and brokenness and the truth that our feelings are a very real response to the suffering we experience when the bad things happen to us. And this is where we find Job in chapter 3, verses 3 through 26, where we see in this entire chapter this deep emotional expression of grief and pain. We see Job questioning and calling out to God, where, and, and I believe we are now invited into that as well when we experience our own suffering too. So this, I was trying to figure out a way to kind of pick and choose how we could identify portions of Job's, Job's prayer here. But I, I was unable to. So we're going to read the whole thing. This is Job chapter 3, verses 3 through 26. May the day on which I was to be born perish, as well as the night which said, a boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not care for it, nor light shine on it. May darkness and black gloom claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Behold, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout enter it. May those curse it who curse the day, who are prepared to disturb Leviathan, May the stars of its twilight be darkened. May it wait for light but have none. And may it not see the breaking dawn. Because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide troubles from my eyes. Why did did I not die at birth? Come out of the womb and pass away? Why were the knees there in front of me? And why the breasts that I would nurse? For now I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then... And I would have been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with rulers who had gold, who were filled with houses with silver, or like a miscarriage which is hidden, I would not exist. As infants that never saw light, there the wicked cease from raging, and and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to one burden with grief and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who are filled with jubilation and rejoice when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has shut off? For my groaning comes at the sight of my food, and my cries pour out like water. For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread encounters me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. The word of the Lord. (laughs) What a dark picture that Job has just painted here. And suffering has this way of drawing out the deepest of emotions, the deepest of feelings and the honest opinions about life and ourselves and others, and especially God. Where we often are forced to reconcile what we believe about truth in God with the experiences that we face in our lives. And this is where we find Job in chapter 3, where he's in this situation. He's experienced economic devastation. All ten of his kids have been killed. He's covered in painful sores from his head to his toes. And he's surrounded by his three friends and his wife, who I'm sure he hoped would be sources of comfort for him, but instead do nothing but heap shame and guilt on him in the midst of his suffering. Now, for many of us, we would say, oh, I've never experienced that sort of suffering that Job has experienced. And I think we'd all be grateful for that. Now, admittedly, as I was, I was telling Jason this morning that that this there, there's some sermons that kind of just write themselves. They just kind of come out, and it just and uh, it's just it's something just they just are very natural. This was not one of those sermons. Um, I was I as as I think about my own degree of suffering, I would say it's been fairly minimal. And so, for me to communicate a message on suffering to communicate a message on lament, I would say my experience has been pretty low. Yet, I know that for many of you, that there's a, that's a very real thing. And yet for others, that's not. And so for some of us this morning, this may not be a message that is really, really applicable. And I'm not going to apologize for that, because it, that's just the way that it is sometimes, and I feel like that's the way God wanted me to share. However, however, that, regardless of who you are, regardless of what degree of suffering that you may have experienced in your life, all of us, I believe, have experienced suffering to a degree. So, we're gonna, I'm going to share a definition here that I think might be helpful for us as kind of a working definition so that we're kind of working under the same premise. Suffering can be defined as the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. Let me say that again. That suffering can be defined as a state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. And so if we can use that as our working definition here, I think we can begin to identify that, yeah, you know what? I probably have experienced a degree of hurt in my life. I think I've I've experienced some level of pain or distress, or I've suffered or I've experienced some level of hardship in my life. You know, on Friday, my, my son Silas, he got braces put on. He is experiencing suffering right now. It is uncomfortable for him. Natalie and I have to pay for that, so we are experiencing suffering as well. The day after Halloween, maybe some of you ate too much candy and now you are also suffering. Or maybe some of you are suffering because you stayed up a a little bit later last night because you got an extra hour of sleep. Yet there are others here. Who have, who have obviously experienced much more significant degrees of suffering. And some of you shared some of these experiences with me last week as we explored and as we, as we asked the question what happens when the bad things happen? Suffering, though, can come in a variety of different forms and in varying degrees. And for some of us, suffering can come in the form of loss, maybe a death or a relationship. Maybe like a breakup, or a friend who's moved away. For others, suffering comes in the form of an illness. Maybe cancer, COVID-19, or a toothache. Another form of suffering is abuse. Emotional, physical, sexual harm inflicted on you from someone else. And the last form of suffering is failure. Maybe you got fired at work. Maybe you're unable to find work. Maybe you got a bad, mar- bad mark on a math test. Or a performance review at work. But there's lots of examples, I think, that we can begin to understand that suffering doesn't have to be in the extremes that we see from Job. But instead, they each carry varying degrees of pain. And all of us experience varying degrees of suffering. I'll give you an example. If I'm working in my garage and I'm hammering something, and I smash my thumb with my hammer, it hurts. It's okay to admit that it was uncomfortable. It's, admit, it's okay to admit that it's painful. Now, later on that day, if I'm on my table saw, and I cut my thumb clean off, now, compared getting, to getting hit with the hammer, it's obviously much worse. But it doesn't change the fact that when I hit my thumb with the hammer, that it still hurt when it happened. So it's important that in this time that we, valid, we begin to validate our own hurt and suffering, regardless of whether it has fit the extremes of other people, that we, that we begin to remove the comparison, the, the comparison of other people and begin to acknowledge that we have all experienced suffering in one form or another. The challenge that most of us have, though, is that probably can't relate to the intense degree of suffering that we read about in Scripture. I've never been through some of the intense suffering that some of you have experienced either. But that doesn't mean that your suffering or my suffering is less valid either. It doesn't serve anyone any, any benefit for us to minimize our own suffering, to minimize our own pain and hurt by comparing ourselves and invalidating our experiences. And we can certainly say, well, it could be worse. It could be, and I could have cut my thumb off. But it doesn't help because it doesn't change the fact that we still have pain that we have to suffer through. So, you may, not have, so you, you may have a lesser degree of pain than someone else, but it doesn't change the fact that you're still hurting. So what do we do with that then? What do we do with our own suffering? Do we complain about it? Do we just bury it down deep and ignore and avoid it when we're hurting? Do we blame God or others? What do we do when we suffer because of the bad things that have happened in our lives? Job chapter 3, I think, gives us a really good example of what we can do with our own suffering. Where we see that in, in the midst of his suffering, Job turns to prayer. And it's not the type of prayer, like, God, I know you've got a plan for my life, and I know your will is better than mine. It's not a prayer like your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a song of worship like some of the songs we sang this morning. But instead, he prays this really uncomfortable prayer. Instead, we get a picture of the heavy, dark prayer of grief and woundedness and sorrow that Job is experiencing. Where we begin to see this prayer of lament after Job has grieved in silence for seven days where we see that lament is an expression of honest emotion to God when life doesn't go as we planned. Lament is an honest expression of emotions to God when life doesn't go as planned. Lament is the language that God gives to us to talk to Him in the middle of our suffering. Let me say that again. The lament is the language that God gives to us to talk to Him in the midst of our suffering. And we see this throughout the book of Psalms, actually, where a third of the Psalms are lament psalms. We, we get an idea of the psalmist is complaining about his own thoughts and actions. He's complaining about the actions of others. And we see that in some of the lament psalms, that there's expressions of frustration even directed towards God as well. And Job's grief isn't all that much different from the lament psalms we read about in the book, that we read in the book of Psalms where Job's emotions are clearly high and what he was communicating doesn't seem to be this gentle, passive, worshipful approach to talking to God any longer. Instead, Job reaches into the depths of his soul and he discovers these raw emotions that begin just to pour out. That in the seven days of, of grieving that he, had, that he had with his friends and his wife, that the pump had been primed and suddenly this geyser of emotions just ex- comes exploding out of him. And we see where Job has been trying to make sense of what God could possibly be doing to cause all of this suffering in his life. And he's coming up short. He's not able to, find, he's not, not able to identify the answer why. And he can't make sense of it. How can what he know about God possibly be true given the state of his reality? and we see that much of much of laments are often an attempt to bring clarity to the confusion but often laments are an attempt to bring clarity to the confusion in fact we see in verse 8 job he references leviathan now in the in the ancient world leviathan was this multi-headed sea serpent generally when we read it in scripture it's this it's meant to give this implication of chaos and disorder and, and this is what we're seeing from Job as he begins to communicate that that's what his life is about. That's what's going on in his world right now is just this chaos, this destruction that, that only something like Leviathan could create. Another word we see that captures Job's confusion with his circumstances is the word darkness. Now in Hebrew, that word is chosak. Which is We see this word used throughout the Old Testament, but we see it used five different times in chapter 3. It's meant to give this, this description of emotional and situational obscurity. So if, if light has overtones of God's glory and joy, darkness is the opposite. And in this moment, Job is making it clear to us and to God that if God's glory is everywhere, he's not seeing it. That his circumstances are not allowing him, have, not, have blocked out the, the glory of God, the, the glory of God in his eyes. But the joy of the Lord has been robbed from him in the eyes of Job. The glory of God is non-existent in his grief. The circumstances of Job's life have left him in this the spiritual and situational darkness. And all that's left is pain and the lingering unanswerable question of why. Why would God allow bad things to happen to me? Last week I mentioned that often when bad things happen, we find ourselves asking that question. Why would God allow those things? Why wouldn't God change it or stop it? And admittedly, from my own experience, these types of questions are usually more accusational than than trying to get a genuine understanding of God's will. These why questions, when we ask in the midst of suffering, are generally our first response to a heart that's in pain. A heart that's just trying to make sense of the life that's now in front of us. How do we reconcile? How do we process these things? How do we, it's just chaos. There's just ruin in front of us. Why God? We ask that question as a way to try to process our experiences with what we know about God. In Job chapter 3 verses 3 through 10, Job begins to, he just starts his lament by just beginning to identify the hurt that's inside of him. And he concludes that it would have been better off if he hadn't been born at all. That's that's the end result. After his answer to the why question, he concludes, you know what? It's just better that I was dead. That's a significant prayer of brokenness. When you wish that you had never been born, and it gives us the idea of a type of hurt that Job is going through in that moment. And then he uses the remaining two-thirds of his prayer to to begin to ask the why questions as a reflection of his hurting heart. As he identifies his own suffering, he begins to bring his accusations and his questions and his confusion to God. And this is what he says. Verses 23 to 26. I'm going to read it from the message version because I think in this this translation it gives a, a really profound picture here. Why does God... Bother giving light to the miserable? Why bother keeping bitter people alive? Those who want in the worst way to die and can't. Who can't imagine anything better than death. Who count the day of their death and burial the happiest day of their life. What's the point of life when it doesn't make sense? When God blocks all the roads to meaning. That's a hurting heart. There's nothing pleasant about this dialogue with God here. There's nothing gentle or flowery or poetic about it. It's raw, heartfelt, brutal accusations towards God. It's uncomfortable. Essentially, Job has placed the blame of his circumstances squarely at the feet of God. And said, if I hadn't been born, if you hadn't brought me into this world, God, I wouldn't be experiencing this pain that I'm experiencing right now. It is all on you. Now, remember just a week earlier when Job's wife said, just curse God and die? And in verse 10, he says, shall we actually accept good from God but not accept adversity? Something has changed in Job, clearly. Here we see that Job has now given up on the pleasantries about God, he's given up on the platitudes. And said he prays this prayer that's heavy with the burden of his suffering and loss and the spiritual darkness that he is feeling in that moment. Yet somehow, in the midst of this, we read that in all of this, Job did not sin. In the midst of these accusations, in the midst of his anger towards God, in the midst of this seemingly irreverent prayer, God still honored Job and credited him as righteous. Somehow, Job's prayers pleased God. About a month ago, I was having a conversation with my oldest daughter, Abigail. I've asked for her permission to tell this story, by the way. But I was having a conversation with her, and and she was just feeling really upset about a few different things that were going on and just experiencing a lot of uncertainty and it was just like really bothersome, and, and just it was just really stressing her out. And so me being the wise, pragmatic, spiritual leader of our home, she's very fortunate to be have a dad who's a pastor. Really, I said, okay, Abigail, here's what we got to do. You got to do this, got to do that. Let's do this and that. And I just began to start logically laying out instructions to help resolve all of her all of life's problems for her. All this chaos would now be assembled in in structure if she just listened to wise dad. And her response to me was this. Dad, I just want to be sad right now. Dad, I just want to be sad right now. In that moment, I realized what great personal insight. What high level of self-awareness of how she was feeling and what she needed in that moment. She didn't need problem-solving dad. She needed caregiving dad. She didn't need logic. She needed love. She didn't need a solution. She just needed to be cared for. Lament allows us the space to weep and pour out our hearts to God and have the assurance that when we do it, that God won't punish us for it. Instead, What if there was something raw and honest and right about exposing our thoughts and feelings and beginning to identify the spiritual darkness inside of us? But then inviting God into that pain. What if it was in our lament that revealed the chaos within us and began to shed light on it as we invite Jesus into it? So, in those feelings of disorder and chaos and spiritual darkness, we actually we actually begin to find structure and clarity in our lives. For Abigail, after that moment happened, it wasn't until I began just to ask questions and just listen to her heart, just to begin to create a safe environment for her to share her feelings that she was actually begin to she was actually able to begin to feel better about what was happening in her world. She just needed to know that someone felt the same pain that she felt. That someone felt the same suffering that she felt. It didn't change her circumstances at all. But it actually began to validate that what she was feeling, it began to validate that what she was feeling so that she didn't have to feel alone in the midst of the darkness. Lament shares our experience with Jesus so that we know that we aren't alone in the midst of it. It's in our lament, our honest emotions before God, that we can know that Jesus is lovingly present with us in our suffering. When I was about 12 years old, one of my cousins committed suicide. In my family, we have a history of suicide uh, patterns. And my cousin was in his early 20s when he committed suicide. And I don't, re- I don't remember much about the funeral. But I do remember one thing. The pastor st- stood in front as he officiated the service. And there was a, a large group of 20-something-year-olds who were there to, to grieve my cousin. And he addressed them specifically. And he said, many of you might be angry at why God would allow something like this to happen. Many of you might be asking big questions. God is big enough to take your anger. God is big enough to take your questions. And he's right. God is big enough to take our anger and our sorrow. God is big enough to take our questions and our accusations and our disappointments. Job's lament is full of them full of anger and sorrow, full of questions and accusations and disappointment. Sometimes in the midst of suffering, the most spiritual and sacred thing we can do is just yell out to God. Yell out at God. And Jesus meets us in it. Where lament actually becomes the gateway into associating ourselves with Jesus suffering is the result of humanity's departure from God. Not God's departure from humanity, but humanity's departure from God. When we lament, when we cry out at the effects of the broken world and how it has have impacted us, how, it, how the brokenness in this world has caused us to suffer, our lament reflects God's heart towards the brokenness in this world. Our lament reflects God's heart towards the brokenness in this world. Our laments are a reflection of God's heart towards humanity's departure from His presence. That in our suffering, He feels it with us. In your suffering, He feels it with you. Your sorrow is His sorrow. And your pain is His pain. Yet this is what God has to say about our our suffering. In Isaiah chapter fifty-three, is a poem. It concludes with these words: "By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Where we can bring our feelings of suffering and death to Jesus, because Jesus experienced it too. He lived it. He identifies with each of us." in our suffering, regardless of the degree of suffering. He identifies with our suffering. Whether you fail the math test or you're watching a loved one die, Jesus is absolutely aware of your pain, your confusion, your darkness. Jesus is not aloof. He feels it with you. That through Jesus... Suffering and death and spiritual darkness no longer have the final say in our lives. Where we feel like our suffering has robbed us of life. And said, Jesus says that I've come to give life and life to the full. I will restore you and bring you hope. And we can declare in Jesus' name, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, that there is an entire assembly of powers and principalities that are against you and I. They delight in our suffering. They delight in the chaos and the pain that we experience. But it's in the power of Jesus Christ in our lives that we put on the belt of truth that we wear the breastplate of righteousness, that we resist the chaos and stand firm in the truth that Jesus walks with us through our suffering, no matter how painful it may be. That our suffering will not defeat us. But in fact, Jesus gives us hope and life within our suffering. Jesus wants to know every area of our lives. Not just the clean, unbroken, non-messy parts. He wants the, the, the broken ugliness of our lives too. Job's lament shows us that we can be accepted for who we are and for what we feel when life doesn't go as we planned. And God still receives and honors those prayers. This morning, as we receive communion, we know that Jesus died and was resurrected so that sin would be defeated. Communion is a way that, that we unite our hearts with Jesus. And it's in communion that we recognize the love that Jesus has for each of us, that he willingly died for us. Even when you and I were enemies to him, he laid down his life for us. Jesus' heart breaks for the suffering that exists in this world, and our lament. Jesus weeps with us too. When the world rejected Jesus, when I rejected Jesus, when you rejected Jesus, Jesus laments. Jesus weeps over our rejection of him, and yet still invites you and I to come to him still invites you and I to turn our lament into a love song about His faithfulness in our lives. Where we recognize that what's true in the light is still true in the darkness. Communion is a time where we can unite our hearts with Jesus. Where we might begin to bring our laments to Him that we wouldn't hold back that darkened pocket of our lives from Jesus, but instead we would expose all of ourselves to him, that we would allow his presence and allow his light into all areas of our lives. Even that one spot that's just chaos. Even that one spot that you've been guarding, that you've been saying, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to bring that to you, Jesus. I'm going to just take care of it myself. Maybe this morning you're ready for suffering to be done. And lament might be actually the, the, the next step in your spiritual journey to discover the richness of knowing him and experiencing his presence with you in the midst of your darkness. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. As we receive communion, I just want, for those of you that haven't had a chance to grab one yet, you feel free to grab one. They're just in the foyer. But just as a reminder, this, the, the top layer is a very thin layer of film to, to pull up the wafer. This morning, though, as we receive communion, take this time now to reflect. Have you given all areas of your life over to Jesus? All areas. Even that little corner where there's, there's a little bit of darkness there. Might need to be get Jesus to shine his light in there. You know where it is. Begin to confess that. And submit yourself fully to him now. And this morning, some of you may need some, space, some extra space to lament. And if, certainly if you need extra time, don't feel like you need to receive communion simultaneously with all of us. Just take the extra time that you need. We're going to continue on with our service, but take the time that you need just to interact with God. The night before Jesus was crucified, he took the bread and broke it. So this body is this body is my bread, my bread. This bread is my body given for you. Take and eat. After that, he took the wine. He said, "This is a new covenant in my blood. Take and drink." We're gonna sing one last song to close our service. It's a new song. I've asked the worship worship team to to play, because I think it reflects um, the heart of lament. And you're more than welcome to sing along if you'd like, but it may just be a time where you just reflect on the words, you just um, just process what what is what is the heart behind lament? What is, where, where can we, um, where do we need to engage in that area of our lives? So I'm going to let the worship team take over here.